0: listening to the Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast with Matt and when you hear this intro you know that Frank's on and we're going to be chatting about hunting, fishing, camping and everything else that the outdoors has to offer.
1: Let's get into it. There you go Cody Gearin. cop that mate, where's your intro song?
0: Well I thought I'd get him back because we uh we were definitely. I don't even know how to start this. <laughs> so I thought I'd get him back after the uh, feral goat abatement plan to actually talk about what's been going on, uh, what's happened with me. There's been some. Uh, life's a bit of a roller coaster, Frank. And yeah. it's up and down. And I get a lot of hate mail. No. Particularly from one person. Uh, that's my wife. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. You stir the pot like crazy. (laughs) I really sometimes, when your name comes up on the phone and my wife's in the car, I hesitate to hit the pick up button. I'm not going to lie, but she uh, always forces me to pick up because the two of you together just, it's like open slather on me. And you keep saying it's about humbling me. I am now like, six foot underground with any (laughs) you know positive feelings i had about myself (laughs) after you two that's for sure but yes so uh, what's been going on with you i've just been up and down we had a a very interesting camping trip which i'm sure we're going to talk about but
1: i'm looking forward to hearing about that i really am looking forward to hearing about that i haven't heard anything about it so it should be good
0: so Salami King has now sort of transitioned into Salmon King, I oh, believe.
1: Salmon King, right. And then, then if I shoot a Samba, it will be the Samba King. Oh, it's how just, good would
0: that be?
1: It would be great. I can't wait for that day. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I've been uh, jumping on and I have been doing a bit of fishing, getting some salmon and it's been really good uh, providing some fish for the family. The kids absolutely love salmon fillets. And a couple of bit of abuse, the poor Australian salmon as being a very poor table fish in saying that I went... To with an open mind and did some research, did some YouTubing. Two guys out there I'll mention is Roger Osborne's fishing, awesome, awesome guy. Heaps of videos on beach fishing and catching salmon and catching beach worms. He's got some really good videos. And then Steve Starling, had a look at his videos about catching salmon and how to prepare them for the table and everything like that. Like, uh, yeah, I made sure that when as soon as I got the salmon in, um, just brain spiked them. Popped a couple of gills, put them in the sand, and then like it would have been within you know the hour of killing them. And because it's you know either early morning or late afternoon, the sand's cool. Got them there, take them home, and I let, actually let them firm up in the fridge for about two or four hours, Then I'll then I'll fillet them. And then uh, yeah, the kids absolutely love it in the in the pan with a bit of salted butter, pepper, and I usually use a squeeze of lemon juice in there too. And they yeah that's simple. They love eating it. They absolutely love eating it. I, I think I got was it last week? I caught eight salmon last week. I think it was eight salmon on the brim, and that was that was seven days ago. And there's none of that fish left. That's all been consumed. They're yeah, nice, which is great. And just getting kids to eat something today, besides bloody chicken nuggets and chips, is hard enough. But them eating that makes me feel really good, knowing that it's come from you know, just down the road and they absolutely love it. It makes you you feel really good on the inside.
0: Yeah, I I get where you're coming from. And you were like, when you started sending me all these photos of your salmon and things like that, I, I just start reminiscing going, oh, you know, my childhood up to my, you know, early 20s, you know, down the south coast chasing salmon on the beach and things like that. I went, oh, that's it. I'm going out, so went out, bought myself a, ki- a combo, ended up getting the Penn Spinfisher SSM Surf Combo. Oh, yeah, yeah. So good little setup. Uh, Penn's good bit of gear and it's pretty nicely priced as well. So I got all that set up, went got my braid, my leaders, my gang hooks. got everything ready to go to chase some salmon. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the plan when we went camping and that's been – a bit of a roller coaster as well to try and get ready for camping. Yeah. So for people that don't know, I don't think I've posted much on the socials about this, but uh, I bought a camper trailer. I know I mentioned it with Naomi when we talked on that episode, but I did a, quite a few sort of upgrades on it. So I went down the track of getting a new uh, pop-top tent on mm-hmm. there. So rooftop tent and end up going the King's, Grand Tour X, which, you know, two clips and it's straight up. I'll tell you what, brilliant. So, so good. Easy setup. 30 seconds. You know, Done. it's it's uh, maybe probably, maybe I'm lying. It's probably two minutes, but like we're in the scheme of things.
1: Which is really good when you have kids. That's really good when you have kids. Though. Pop
0: it. It's on struts. They go straight up. You get inside. There's a twist pole just to secure it so it doesn't come down. Slots into two things. Done. There's four. Uh, metal rods that just go through an eyelet hook out the side to put up like a, a little cover so you can get up and down and it's, it's sheltered. Yep. Uh, that's it done. It's thick. It's that thick that you can leave your bedding in there. So you don't even like you, you're basically set up and ready to go straight away. Very good in my opinion, absolutely brilliant. Like, it's, uh, I think it's going to be my new hunting camp rig, to be honest. I, nice. uh, I liked it so much, but um, there was that. And then uh, the other thing I got was the King's freestanding 270 awning. Hard to beat, $400 compared to like the 32nd awning. At, I think I priced them at 1800 Wow. What a difference massive from all the reviews out there people were just raving about it saying it's probably one of the best things kings have made and and i'll say kings hit and miss with their gear Mm -hmm. you read a lot of bad reviews look in my experience some of the products have been ordinary some have been brilliant Uh, i've still got a king's fridge 65 liter one uh, that is probably a good six seven years old and it's Runs perfectly, so I can't complain about some of the gear. I have returned two rooftop tents in the past just from stress fractures in the plastic shell, but in fairness, both times they've warranted it and I got full replacement or war- sorry, full refund back. So, oh wow, there you go, yeah. So, look, I know they've got an up and down name depending on the product, but that 270 awning, man, it's good. Uh, we we're in probably 30 to 35 kilometer hour winds. Mm-hmm. I did not attach the, the ropes. It was just off the hook. No issue. No worries whatsoever. No. Brilliant. Wow, that's pretty good. And 30 seconds, literal, if that. If you're taking 30 seconds to put it out, something's gone wrong. Uh, it literally just comes straight out. One strap, I've got just a carabiner that hooks up to an eyelet hook and just pull it tight, done. That's great. Yeah, it's great when you're setting up. It was great in the, in the wet. Yeah, like... You know, for for a quick, easy thing with kids, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So it was a good opportunity to get away. So I've been wanting to get away and test some of this gear out, make sure it's, you know, what I thought. And the salmon were right up there. We've been talking a lot about them and going, I'm going to chase them. I've got a couple of spots down the south coast that I know produce. So I thought, yep, I'm going to get down there. (sighs) I was wrong. Tell me that. Tell me. So the first weekend we got really crook with diarrhoea. So like literally, <laughs> I had like seven days off work. It was it was not mm. ideal. Not like gastro; it was just diarrhoea in the sense that I was eating everything was normal. I just couldn't stray more than two hundred metres from a toilet. Uh, <laughs> so not ideal camping situation. Uh, then we finally got there, but we're looking at the looking at the weather and it's like rain forecasted, and we're like, oh. We haven't camped with the three kids. My twins are, what, 14 months now. The little fella's nearly three and a half. Uh, This could be anything. So we'll give it a try. We'll go to a caravan park. We'll take the new camper trailer, see what happens. So we thought with the rain, we'll take a tent as well. So we've got a big eight-person tent, two room. We thought we'll throw that up if it looks like rain. And I'm going to sleep in the swag as well. And the the format is I'd have one of the twins and the wifey would have a twin and and the older fella and probably she'd take the rooftop tent. Everything was going all right in the afternoon. We'd set up tent. Everything went real smooth, like setting up the tent and the swag. Yeah. Done. No issues. Took the kids around the caravan park. You know, we had a really good time. Dinner time came. That was a real hectic juggle when you got three kids on the move going all different ways and one person trying to wrangle while someone cooks. But, hey, look, survived it. Not bad. Bedtime. We didn't think about some of these things. Two twins who sleep in separate rooms have now been put into – one went in the swag and he went straight to sleep. So that's a win. Nice. My daughter did not go straight to sleep. She wasn't a fan of being locked up and wanted to get out of the – she was in the rooftop tent, but she wanted out. So right. there was a bit of crying, but, hey, eventually went to sleep. This is where the problem starts. Well, we had to get into sleep as well. So we've dragged it out with the oldest one to see how long. He got to the point where he's saying, I want to go to bed. Right. You know, And for everyone that has kids knows that's a rare occurrence. So <laughs> – We've uh, The wife tried to sneak up there with him. That really just didn't go well. My daughter woke up. Ended up getting her back to sleep. Not too bad. But there was a hot, like the problem was heat. Right. Being so hot up in the rooftop tent. Yep. And we weren't 100% confident in pulling all the windows open because if a kid in the middle of the night rolled up against one of the mesh fly screens, we don't know the weight of it. They'd, you know, So we didn't want to chance it, especially being up so high. So that was an issue. The daughter probably still, maybe a little bit of diarrhea. So then that became bad nappy rash. Then the screaming started. Then we tried to put her in the swag because I could open up the ends and it was a bit cooler. So we thought that might help out. Then she woke the other twin because he's not used to sleeping in the same area as her. He is a sympathetic crier with her. So both are unleashing in this caravan park. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I reckon there's 30 people there just going, who the hell are these people? <laughs> so we – we end up making the call and saying no. Nope, it's uh, <laughs> it's time to go. So at eleven thirty, I packed everything up and <laughs> we drove the three hour journey home. And yeah, that was our that was our trip. And I did not get to go fishing for salmon. <laughs> <laughs> this was eleven thirty at night. Oh man! Hey, look, uh, positive. I keep saying this to the wife. You got to look for the positives. I'm all about looking for positives in life is that, hey, I was able to pack up a tent, a swag, and the rooftop tent in all under 30 minutes just with the headlamp on. What wow. a win. How good's that? The great thing is we found all these things that were good, found some things that were bad, got some ideas on how to fix it. But, uh, man, camping with kids is challenging. I enjoyed it, I will say that, even the the crappy moments. And what I do love is I just think it's a memorable trip. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah.
1: No, definitely. The first camping trip.
0: Yeah. You know, but no salmon for me, which annoys me because I had the pillies ready. I had some oh. squid. I was sitting there just going, Yeah, here <laughs> we go. Uh, just invested. Oh, just and didn't get to get me line wet. Yeah, well, you got yeah, you would have had a good tide. Mate, it all lined up. It did. It was all morning it, it was slowly up. overcast. Ah, kids. Kids, <laughs> man, what do you do? Kids, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> uh,
1: well,
0: Look, good fun. What do you do?
1: Well, like, so I um, I went for a fish on Tuesday afternoon because the girls wanted to go for a fish. So I went and took them to a new spot and um, there was a heap of weed around and I was a bit dubious, but, you know, I cast it in and it would have been all three minutes later and the rod goes off and I thought, oh, I wonder if it's weed because it was just going out real slow. Picked it up and just started winding in and just felt the, the beat and the hits, the very faint. I thought, oh, I think I've got some weed as well as a fish. But wound in and then I gave the um, the rod to my eldest and then she uh, wound wound the rest in and we ended up getting this 72 centimetre salmon, an absolute beast <laughs> attached to this. Yeah, nice. I don't know I'm going to say about another five kilos of seaweed. So, but anyway, got that in and then the next half an hour just ensued a, we'll just say that we did a lot of gardening in the sea and we've poured out all the all the seaweed within probably 50 metre radius of the shoreline. <laughs> so we gave up on that. We got home with one fish, which was good. And then so went to bed and uh, the young fella, uh, he woke up at uh, 10 to 10 to 4 in the morning and um, wife's put him in bed and then he's proceeded to start kicking me in the back. So I was awake. I was going to go back to bed. So I thought I'll just go for a fish. So grabbed the bait out of the fridge, got in the car, out I went and I was fishing five minutes later. First cast in and it would have been about 4.15 I think it was when, when the, the rod went off and this 12 foot rod stood about four foot high when it was going off, <laughs> like it was bent right over. And I thought, "You beauty!" I thought I had a jewfish. I thought I had a jewfish because every time I wound this this fish in, it just got close to shore and just took off again. And I thought, "You beauty!" I finally finally got a silver slab here. This is great. And then when I finally got it up onto the shoreline, I thought. Then I thought it was a kingfish, but it was just a real fat salmon. When I got up close to it, just a really fat salmon and so that was that was a great catch and then next it would it just would have been uh, probably another half an hour of just catching fish so it was just one after the other it was really it was really good timing so i've marked down all those um conditions to make sure that i can try and replicate them again at some point but um it worked out really really well i got home at six grabbed the knife went down to the boat ramp cleaned up all the fish and then Brought him back out and put him inside the fridge to let him firm up a bit. So that was that. And then um, the next day, we I went out again in the morning because it was roughly the same conditions, and I got a uh, got another salmon and a um, and a nice big surf brim actually. It was a thirty-two centimeter silver surf brim. So that yeah, tasted, thirty-two. Nice. It, yeah, yeah. Tasted really sweet. Was really really nice actually. And then he swallowed a four-zero suicide hook. So, but yeah, anyway. he... It um, tastes all right, but then I got rained out. So come back home and that was my week's worth of fishing. So that worked out really well. And yeah, we. I think I got about five kilos of fish out of that and that's all gone now. It took a week and that's all gone. So,
0: How good is fish? Oh, um, I love eating fish.
1: Yeah, kids love it. Kids yeah. absolutely love it. It's great to eat it. It's great to know that it come. you know, no more than 200 metres from where I'm sitting right now talking to you. And the fact that in this day and age, trying to get kids to eat something more than strawberries or chicken nuggets or chips, it's just great that they jump into that that summer. And just it's just and cook so so easily and so quickly. They they love it like that, which is great too. It doesn't have to be beer battered or anything like that. It's just literally in a bit of butter, salt, and pepper, and they love
0: it. Yeah, very nice. But yeah, well, I never thought I'd say this, but I've been doing done more hunting than uh, fishing lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> When we're coming in, I do say I like to go, you know, as summer approaches, I I tend to get more out and go fishing more. But, yeah, I've been out and about with some hunting, which has been good fun. Hey, did you know this? Here's a tip for people. I had no idea and a shout out to Grant who showed me this when we went out for a bow hunt together. If you take a photo wherever you are hunting and you've got the Avenza map, you can just upload the photo and it automatically plots it on the GPS coordinates.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, good's that? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, you can also put a place mark there and just call it whatever, like you can call it trail goes northeast and then you take a pin. And-
0: yeah, I knew how to drop a pin and mark it, but I didn't know that, hey, just walk around and take photos and then you can sort it out later if you want or you can do it on the spot. But yeah. it just, yeah, you can automatically throw the photo up. So not only do you... Rabbit, you can have a you know an identification image too that's brilliant did not know that so learnt that man awesome thanks for sharing that when we we're out grant i uh i'm definitely using that in the future
1: you can also share your tracks and stuff like that did you know that too you can save that on layer. avenza the Olovenza, yeah. Avenza, yeah. So you can okay, say- so is that
0: on the paid version or the free version? No,
1: it's on the free version. Okay. On the free version. So I had a mate.
0: But you can only have two maps on the free version, isn't it?
1: Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. So I've got four maps on mine and three are active.
0: Ah, uh, so- Okay, yeah, that's what I mean. But so you, you have to, yeah, you can only have a couple active at any one time. At any one time, correct, yeah. yeah Unless you're one. paid and then you can have as many as you want.
1: Correct. But, uh, but say, for instance, you've gone hunting... At this state forest, you know three or four months ago, and then you want to go hunting at a couple other state forests, but you don't want to lose the information from that. You can save that layer you can save that layer to your computer or to your device and then when you um go back to hunting that that state forest, you can then upload the map and then add that layer back to that map, yeah. and then all your tracks and everything is still back on there, so you can save all that information and then you can put it back on the new maps as they as they come out, or you can just just save them and keep them until you need to use them. Yeah, so, no and, and so my mate, he did a, a bike ride in a state forest because I wanted to see how accurate the tracks were in this state forest I'm looking at. And he has a Venza. He jumped on it. He put a breadcrumb trail out. And then he was like, I was able to see some extra trails that aren't actually on the map that he was taking. And so I grabbed that that layer. So he sent me that layer, which had photos and everything on it still. And then I could – he emailed that to me and then I could upload that onto my map and I could see exactly where it had been and everything like that. So it works out really handy for stuff like that.
0: That's a bloody good idea. Yeah. I haven't thought about that because I do like riding motorbikes and, you know, haven't had one in a few years. Still got all my gear but I haven't had a bike in a while. I used to ride a KTM 600 Motard, which was just awesome because I had a long-range fuel tank. And you could get out in a state forest and just ride for as long as you want. And plus it was road rego. Yeah,
1: I think my mate's got the same. He's got a KTM as well.
0: Yeah, brilliant bike. Um, But that is really interesting in getting out and just doing laps of a state forest to see what roads are good, what's not prior to getting in there with the car. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought about doing something like that. Here's another one
1: for you. Here's another one for you. You can get onto bushwalking. Facebook
0: pages yep and I'm on a few of those because I do love a bushwalk
1: so you'll find that some of those people actually use Avenza as well yeah okay yeah. and if you say I want to know what this trail is like you might find that they may actually have an Avenza breadcrumb trail that can email you and you can upload it and you can actually see where that yeah, trail okay. goes so and you know it's walkable if they've walked it you know you can walk it yourself yeah so yeah. It, there's there's yeah there's another no avenue there if you want if you want to know if you get access to certain places yeah, and even talking to those people, you can you know you can ask them if they've seen any wildlife. About, and I'm sure they'll tell you if they see the monarch of the Glen walking, you know, in front of them with these you know, massive two trees hanging off its head. I've seen it just there. I'm sure they'll tell you that because it's not something that any human being misses.
0: Yeah, yeah, mate. On that, geez, driving home, uh between midnight and three a.m., the amounts of deer... I did see around the Wollongong region. Oh my god, no, yeah, roots are everywhere at the moment. Roos right? everywhere. I tell you, I saw a couple of nice stags uh, with some good sets of antlers on them. Uh, even the wife noticed and went, "Geez, look at that one. How good's that?" And I was like, "Yeah, very good." But uh, plenty, plenty around. Interesting how they were feeding though. For an animal that gets hit a lot by cars, they seemed very switched on to cars. They were all. Sort of back off the road, obviously in the bush, but they they had extended out to eat, but they would sort of like if you can imagine, just the f- closest bit they could get to the road to eat, but without exposing much of themselves to the road.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah. So they're still they're still in cover, without exposing out their body. Yeah, w- which thing. was.
0: Their bodies were exposed just because there was no much vegetation. But it was almost like we know not to go on the road. We're trying to stay as far away from these flying cars that are going past us. But we really want to eat what's on the edge of the of the road. Well, that's where at the well for this rain. it's where all the the nice little
1: shoots were on yeah. that edge there, because all the water collects that little spot, and that's why they they eat there. But yeah, you'll find they extend themselves out. Just to grab those little tidbits on the edge, without having to jump on the um, on the highway. But it's probably because they've you know, probably seen old Fred copper hiding before.
0: Maybe, yeah.
1: And they've gone. Oh, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah. But got a mate of mine who works down there, and uh, quite funny. Uh, got a call saying that there's been a deer hit out the front of his work, and um, and they wanted like them to remove it. So he's gone out there with the with his excavator to pick up this deer and remove it, and as he's going down there with the excavator, there's a there's someone pulled over on the side of the road, and he's got a hacksaw out, and he's removing the head of this stag. The <laughs> side. And then, and so this person seen me mate coming, and just started going hell for leather, removing this head, throwing the head in the back, and then taking off, and then my mate's got there and he just picked up this
0: headless body. Yeah,
1: headless body, and 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 brought it back. It was all mushed up and everything like that so but it, he brought it back and hopefully he used it for dog meat so but
0: anyway yeah it was interesting to see how they were doing that that shocked me a little bit well obviously some of them do get hit yes i know that and they uh that seems to be on the increase which uh, which makes sense the population has increased and i think i think some people might get the wrong impression sometimes when i talk about deer and you know the feral deer plan they have to be managed i'm very clear on that i feel anyway and yeah. I just don't want to see it done by poison. And we, we talked about that last time when we spoke about the go debatement plan is I just don't think poison is the right way to go about it. I think we should pursue every other avenue before that happens. And you know what? If hunters don't get involved when they open up bounties or raffles or, you know, whatever it might be, then we've got no one to blame but ourselves if poison gets introduced. But the last thing that should that should be the very last option that we go down the path of.
1: No, I agree. It's the last, very last thing we should be thinking about is using poison, for sure. And I've got, once again, another mate um, who's down there, and he, he was showing me a video from his front doorbell, and there would have been 12 rooster on his front lawn. And his yeah. front lawn would only be 10 metres by 5 metres. And there was 10 on there eating, eating his grass and his roses and everything like that. Yeah. And... um like he was saying, how do you get rid of these things? Surely
0: we could trap them.
1: I reckon you could trap them. I reckon you definitely could trap. Well, they're coming. They're obviously coming from the neighbouring national park. Yeah, coming down in and and you could definitely find where they're coming from. It won't be that hard to track that.
0: Or open up the national park.
1: Or open up the national park. Like that's just yeah, that's the, of the best case scenario. Open up the national park and you'll and you'll soon find that. Yeah, the impact would be instantaneous, I would imagine, if that happened overnight. The impact yeah. would be instantaneous about all those. <laughs> you would not want to be coming out of that forest.
0: No, no, not at all.
1: But now because, you, because I say a human and a human doesn't do anything to them.
0: They're not scared. Not, they're not scared at all. Exactly yeah. right.
1: So why, why, why be fearful? Yeah. Whereas if someone's shooting at you. Yeah,
0: you're not sticking around and hanging there to say, oh, what's that? Whizzing past me.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. you you're head, yeah heading out of there, so yeah, it's um, it's quite amazing how how vastly spread that these these deer are now. And back in the well, I say back in the day, uh, if this was you know a different um a, a different decade, we they would be just going to the national park and then and then shooting them. They'd be fixing them up that way. But I said to my to my mate, you you can't you can you cannot shoot them. You cannot shoot them from the front lawn. And you you can't and <laughs> and by. Like he even brought up the the use of a bow. I'm like, no, nah, I that, you just you'd be fueling the anties just yeah, eating they, and they they're like, gonna
0: run, if, especially yeah. in suburbia. You're not you know, you're not gonna be using the bow and dropping them on the spot. So then it just yeah, it gets messy.
1: Exactly right. It would get it would get messy. Be, yeah. imagine following that trail.
0: That oh, imagine trail. waking up. You know, people coming out and there's just this blood trail straight across their lawn. And <laughs> um, all right, look. <laughs> Finally, that just takes me back. So obviously, I've got the first deer on the deck, and we—I uh, <laughs> had—I brought it to, to chop it up, obviously, and whatnot, and decided I'd go with the wet aging, and I had to get rid of the body. Yes, and you as you do, so used as much as possible off it. Like pretty much took every skerrick of meat that I possibly could off mm-hmm. the. The deer, and then put it in the rubbish bin. Right. All uh, right. A couple of issues with this <laughs> is I uh, I did have to take all the guts and everything and put them in a uh, they were in a bulker bag because the farmer didn't want it on his property, which right. understandable. His yeah. his land his rules. So I did take them away. Uh, so that you know, left a lot of blood and whatnot, uh, fluids in the bottom of my bin and yeah, that's part of it. Uh, threw the body in, no worries, got it all in there. I will say it was in there for a couple of days. So the smell wasn't amazing um, nice. and they were hot days after <laughs> I got it, of
1: course. Fully fermented. Lovely. Yeah,
0: pretty much. So uh, <laughs> so bin day came around and the bins got emptied and I come home and there's a police car parked out the front of my house.
1: No way.
0: Yeah, and I've just gone, hmm, I wonder if they have had some sort of complaint about the smell and they're here checking it out because <laughs> and,
1: someone's- and, <laughs> and, the sp- and the large spine with attached to a pelvis that's gone into the I, bin. Uh,
0: yeah. And so then I've gone to grab the bins and the red bin, which is obviously the, the garbage bin, is turned. So someone's had to physically use their hands and it's turned side on. Right. So when they always end up in the same spot when, the, you know, the garbage yeah, truck yep, puts yep. it back down, someone's moved it. And then uh, I can see that on the actual lawn because it's a bit of dirt at the moment because we just had the NBN put through uh, the cabling and you can see someone's turned it around on the side. So someone has sussed it out. Right. And then the police are there, so I'm looking at all this, going, "Oh my god, are the police inside?" Explain all this. Are they sitting inside with the wife, and she's having to explain, (laughs) you know, the red bin? And when you open it up and look down, there's all this blood on the bottom, and you can see like blood spatter marks all on the inside of the bin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But. The police weren't here for me. They uh, were hitting up another neighbor, so that wasn't my um, problem. But I just – I had to laugh and I was like, imagine, you know, my neighbors smelling it and sussing it out. And, uh, yeah, probably, you know, I don't know how you get around that, but maybe some wood chips uh, or wood shavings to take away some of the smell. <laughs> but- well, that's not a
1: bad idea. You could do that. You could definitely do that. Do that. Well, if you can you can dry the liver. You can dehydrate the liver and give it to dogs as dog treats. Yep. You to to do that. Um, did you – so you got the spine and the pelvis there. Did you think about cutting up the spine for bones for the dogs?
0: No. Nah, look, to be honest, uh, the way it all happened, I was very time poor as well. So I, they, they got a heap of venison and they got a heap of bones and yep. I just was with – the, with the spine, I just, yeah, I wasn't going to go down that pathway.
1: It's a, it's a big job, your first one, isn't it? It's a big job
0: uh yes and no i thought i thought we knocked it over in pretty good time i will say when you've got a second person helping you just being able to maneuver a leg so you can get right in there and and do it it's so much easier than on your own yeah i still need to set up something for hanging so you know chop it up while it's hanging we i did do it on the table so difficult to try and keep the meat clean and not get hair everywhere and but like, I mean, overall, it came up pretty good. Uh, I will say, resip saw with the stainless steel food grade blades, brilliant, that easy to rip out the, rip out the ribs. So mm-hmm. that worked. Worked to treat. Yeah, can't complain about that. Yeah, but uh, I just thought that was funny. Rocking up, the police were there, the bins there. <laughs>
1: I see mine go straight to it, eh? No. It, it did. That's this, where the mind I went, ah, someone's it. taught me in. How do I explain this? How do yeah, I explain this? I had photos
0: this? anyway. I was like, oh yeah, I've got uh, photos. Here's the venison. Come into the fridge, mate, have a look at all the venison in backseal packs. It's uh it's all good. You can take some meat and test it. It's not human. We're all good. <laughs> 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 how funny
1: is that? How funny is that? Well, going back to the salmon fishing. What uh, what rig
0: do you use? Mate, I run a 40 set of gang hooks, so three gang hooks, 40 uh-huh. size, and then I usually use pilchards. Yeah. If I'm ch- if tailor's about, I tend to have the same but I'll just trim the tail off to make it look like it's been nibbled. So hopefully that attracts tailor cuz I know they do tend to like a, a bit of a wounded fish that's tend to be what they sometimes do.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's generally the setup. I'll run that off a leader up to a swivel and then I'll have a running sinker above the the leader. Um, usually I'll use mono for the leader and then I run braid for the majority of the line. Braid's brilliant.
1: Do you change over to wire trace if the, if the tailor are
0: about? Uh Depending what size I'm running, like if, depending how thick the leader is. Um, sometimes I have with Taylor, but... Uh, other times I just let it go and see what's happened. I haven't ever lost too much with running like a, a, a decent leader on there. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, each to their own. I I don't use a lot of wire traces, I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. Neither do I. What, what poundage...
0: Um, Trace, to you use? Uh, off the top of my head, what I've been running up there at the moment, I think it's about 60 pounds.
1: Oh, wow. There's yeah, th- so okay, decent. Yeah. There, uh, I mean, that,
0: you're going to have to have a oh, – I think probably one of my knots will fail before the actual line or the braid. Yeah, right.
1: Well, in saying that, that, that salmon I caught on, the, on, that, on that early morning, that actually had a five O suicide hook in it.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. That was the real good fighting one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a
1: real good fighting one, correct, yeah. And it had probably about a 600 mil leader on it and at the end of the leader you could still see the line. It looked like a bit of a pigtail and you can see it was attached to a swivel at some point there. So that's the knot had failed, not actually the line, but the knot had failed. That was 60-pound line too. Yeah, okay. So it was quite interesting to see that the knot failed, not the actual line failed on the salmon.
0: Knots so are tricky, aren't they?
1: They are because if you stuff them up, like a knot reduces the amount of breaking strain on your on any on any line that you use. So yeah, the better the better your knot, the well better well tied your knot, the more breaking strain capacity it will have. Yep. So um, I found like with the the blood knot, if I'm doing a full blood knot, I pull it all tight and cinch it. Cinch that coil down with my fingernail make sure you you live up with a bit of spit and then when you pull it tight that tag i actually pull that tag as well and then i'll pull the hook again and then usually you'll find when you do that a second time that'll cinch down just even more onto that tag end and then you can trim that tag end off Yeah, you know, and i usually leave about maybe 10 mil maybe even eight mil yeah. off that tag yeah, that, that I've never, I haven't had a one foul me in the last twelve months anyway.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep.
1: Like even like twelve months ago, I didn't, I'd never did salmon fishing off the beach. It was just something. Yeah, I got, I got into and yeah, just it was quite, uh, it was quite cool just watching a couple of videos and um doing sort of the stuff. And now I'm just getting right into it. Like the other day, I went to BCF and like I'll use um the, I'll actually use a suicide hook on the bottom of my rig. So I'll run a running sinker rig as well, but uh, the running sinker will have a stop swivel probably about oh, 600 mil from the bottom swivel and then that will allow the sinker to run between the, those two points and then I'll um, have a leader coming out from three-way swivel at the top there, if that makes any sense. And yep. usually have a either a 2-0 or a 1-0 bait keeper hooks, long shank bait keeper hooks with the barbs on the end of them. Yep. i have one of those and I'll put a worm or a plastic worm on there, or a gulp worm, or yeah, okay.
0: something like that on there, and then so that run a sec like a backup.
1: Yeah, well, I find that if if I'm running the, that little that so that so that four o or five o uh, suicide hook at the bottom will have like a little keeper hook, like maybe a one o or a, or a size eight, sorry, not size two, sorry, a little keeper hook on that to put maybe half a pilchard on there. Yeah, so I use I use half a pilchard bait there, and then I'll use the worm. At the top, and usually you'll find that either you catch brim, flathead, salmon, and uh, whiting, you can catch all them off that one rig.
0: Yeah, okay. Multi-purpose.
1: I tried, yeah, I tried okay. so to because yeah, I, 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 I'm happy to get whichever fish yeah comes my way at the moment. Yeah, so- and so, yeah, I, I'll run that. I'll run that rig. That was that's the Roger Osborne rig. That one I think he calls it the. Mixed grill. Yep, that rig. I he
0: knows his stuff, doesn't he? He's do, oh,
1: he does. he's just—he's—he is the salmon slayer. He is the proper salmon slayer. Yeah, he's good. But that. Uh, he just—he just attracts them. That just <laughs> every video he watches hes pulling up a salmon, no matter what he's targeting. He's always pulling up a salmon. Yeah. Um, but like even now, I have had a look at BCF and there's these BKK offset circle hooks, but they are—they are, they are Teflon coated, and so. They slide up and down the line easier if, you have got, try to go, if you've got a keeper, keeper hook.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I'll actually put a float stop in between the keeper hook and the main hook. Yep. And that float stopper just holds that hook up into position while it's being pinned through the top of the pilchard. Yep. And then I can put a half hitch around that pilcher tail to keep that that bait straight
0: yeah I was going to ask you do you run the half hitch
1: yeah also top, to keep definitely. it on
0: for not falling off too it just helps it out to keep yeah. the hooks
1: well especially if you're, if you're not using salt or pilchard if, there's, if they're soft yep I like, I find that, that it keeps them straighter and, and, and it keeps them in place longer especially when they're rolling around in the surf they're not the hooks aren't moving back and forth and creating elongated holes in them as, as you got it you know Perched onto the, the beach bottom yeah, so yeah, I, I find that, that that works out that works out really well that that particular rig, and just yeah then those those offset hooks have got like a interned tips on them, so they're like self hooking as well, so you can put that one in the rod holder and just watch it, yep, and then you can run another rod and hold onto that if you want to
0: yeah, that makes sense.
1: I'm a big fan of using two rods.
0: Yeah, I I look. I'm not gonna lie. I used to. Now with the little kidlets, I reckon I'm gonna run one in the surf spike and be chasing a kid at the same time. <laughs> fair That's fair enough. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, look, it's man. I love fishing. It's, um, <laughs> I I cannot deep sea fish. It's one of the things I super regret. I get really really bad seasickness, and yeah, I just I'm no good. I'll be honest, there's, it it might be mental, but I vomit on the ramp. Like I'll get there and I'll just, it's like this wave comes over me of remembering every single time I've ever gone out on a boat into deep water and that swaying motion, I'll look out and see a few waves and I'm vomiting my guts up, which is, oh, it's bad. But it's super weird because I can go on roller coasters, Whatever does not phase me at all, you put me on a boat that has a swaying motion, and I am done. Put a fork in me, I'm cooked.
1: So, what about what about estuaries and things like that? Oh, fine,
0: not an issue. You're not an issue at if all. If you've got a little yeah. swell in the estuary, you're all good with that? no problems whatsoever.
1: Yeah. It's just if you're out there, well, if you can't see land, is that what it is?
0: No. Nah. If we're seeing land, it's fine. I, I do not. The only time I have not had an issue was I went on a trawler and I was just on the beers. We were just, I was eating and drinking and I was good. But if it's just a normal boat, I've been on, you name them. Our mates down at um, Batemans Bay, they had a big cat, uh, yeah. pretty, like it was a monster and still got seasick on that. I've gone on like a variety of boats out there. Just, yeah, that rolling motion, whether it be a tough day with large swell, whether it be a pretty light day, out there just gets me. I don't know what it is. I've tried everything, Travel Calm, Quell, you name it,
1: just, yeah, no good. just going to have to do some drone fishing off the beach,
0: mate. Mate, it's not the worst in the world because, like, there's different places you can go. Um, I know up in Queensland, like around Fraser Island and all that, you're all protected. So there's some really great sort of islands and reefs you can get into and and get some decent fish. So for me, it's not that big a deal. I know my brother and mate, they just did this eight-day trip out on a a charter and I could not think of anything worse. Like I was super jealous of of all the fish, but, man, it was bad. One thing that does help me out is – Getting in the water. So we would go out. If I'd start to feel sick, I'd just grab the spear gear and just jump overboard. Fix the problem. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was just fine. in that wow. boat and that side swaying motion, just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gone.
1: I'd feel more sick in the water, I'll be honest with you.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, no, nah, I was fine. You put me in the water, I'm good. Yeah, that rolling motion for whatever reason, yeah, I don't get it, but it's, it's just... Might be a mental thing, I don't know, but it's. Uh, I've been that way forever and a day, and it used to really annoy me because when dad and mum, you know, they're both big fishos and they'd be going out fishing, the brother and I would go to go out with them. He'd be hanging upside down and sleeping in the boat, and I'd be vomiting my guts up over the side. Um, I'm good when the boat's moving, but as soon as we pull up and stop, game over. Just get so you,
1: you. You said your mum is a fisher as well.
0: Yeah, both mum and dad love it. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How awesome is that? Yeah. Well, we, that we spent like 3 months down Aladulla way every year from yeah. the time I was born to, you know, pretty much I think mid 20s. Yeah, wow. Loved it. Just greatest spot in the world. I you know, so good and we, you know, I only, as a teenager, I had my own tinny. Um, Dad bought me a tinny and I used to go out all the time on my own fishing in the, the lake and, and whatnot. As you did. Oh, it was brilliant and such a good upbringing. And they used to go out, they were diehard fishers. Like that was the, you know, they would, that was one of the reasons they picked the spot down there. And um, they would be out most mornings out fishing pretty much all the time as long as the weather was good and, and good to go we lived off fish practically just because they'd be catching it all the time out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But geez, I used to get crook. I used to keep trying, but
1: yeah, no good. Yeah. Right. No touching on what you were just saying then about your mum and dad going out all the time, um, that just going out as much as possible just gives you more experience and more time on the belt. So you have more of a chance of being successful because you've not, you know, that situation you know, where you can catch a fish and where you don't catch a fish because you've been in this situation before, If that makes any sense. Like the old guys here, a couple of the old guys that go fishing around here, I, I have a chat to them and just saying, have well, you been catching much and how you been going? And like a month ago, nah, i will catching anything. You know, it's doing this, it's doing that. And like just listening to them talk, you think to yourself, that that just comes from experience because they've spent the time sitting there on the bucket, yep. you know, in the, in the surf, watching the fish or doing sweet nothing. And so, like one, one guy, he said to me, he goes, he, goes, he said, the one thing, he goes, I'll, he goes, I'll tell you something, it's not even a secret, but I'll tell you one thing. The more you do it, the more successful you'll be. You won't catch them from your bed and you won't catch them from the lounge. Yep. Agreed. So, no matter when you think is a good time to go, just go. If you're, if you're looking at all the conditions and go, the conditions aren't right, yeah. just go and then you'll, then you'll know for yourself, you know, once you go then you go, okay, that's failed. You're going to try something else. You're going to go to a different spot and the wind's coming out in a certain direction or swell's moving in a certain direction and the tide's coming in or going out and the moon's doing this and it's a cloud cover, there's no cloud cover. Either way, you're going you're gonna to work out the equation soon enough just by being there and doing
0: it. I think we had this chat off air about deer hunting. Yeah. is that the more times you're out there, the more luck you have yes. and the more opportunities you're going to get. And, and I put my hand up and say, oh, I don't get into State Forest anywhere near enough to be successful. And that's cool. I have no issue with that. Hopefully that changes as my kids get older and I'll have a bit more time out there with them as well. Mm -hmm. But the reality is at the moment, that's just I'm not close enough to any to really get out there all the time. It's a big commitment and I'm a realist. I have no issue with saying that is a major problem with my hunting at the moment. And there's a lot of people out there that spend a lot of time in there and that has to equate to success. Because it's well, pure numbers. Sure it's it a numbers does. game.
1: It is a numbers game. And every every bit of ground you cover is one little piece of the puzzle you've put into your backpack. And you, you keep on walking around. Eventually, it's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to meet up with a deer. And eventually, you're going to shoot one. Yeah. It's that simple. I, I remember watching. i seen it on Facebook. That was a story. I can't remember was which form I was on. But. Um, there was this young fella and he got this Toyota Hilux. I clear as day. Got this of Hilux and he fixed it up because he really wanted to go hunting in the Victorian state forests. Anyway, he got this little Hilux and it was a 2.2 litre petrol shitter. Yep. It, it would, could not pull the skin off a custard tart, this thing. <laughs> right? But he bought it because he wanted to make sure that it was capable when, when he got to where he needed to go. And it was. So he went there. And he went hunting, and just I remember watching post after post after post. This guy going out there and he just take a picture uh, of of a cherry tree. Is is this a rub here, or is this a wallow here? And then you you watched it, and every single week he had a question, or he was, and you can see he was spending time in the bush. Yeah, and in that eight month period. I reckon you might've put up 30 posts asking questions and things like that. And sure enough, there's a post comes up one day and there's, there's a deer. Yeah. Beauty. Cause he's put the time in. He's just gone and he's looked at that spot and just concentrate on like one of those square kilometers at a time. When you go to state forest, just know every single little thing about that one square when you go out there and then go to the next one and then move to the next one if you want to. Like it, And when you find sign, it's another thing I think I spoke to you about um, previously, is like when you find sign, just don't move to find sign if you've already got sign in front of you.
0: Yeah, that's I've used that before and I've said that quote because I think that's a really good one and it makes sense, you know, from a theoretical perspective. It makes sense if there's sign there and it's fresh sign, there's animals in the area. You know, why are you going to search massive amounts of ground for more animals or more signs. So it does make a bit of sense. I really want to speak to a lot more state forest hunters to get their different ways of hunting, whether that they're doing stalking or they're doing more sit and waits in state forests once they find good areas, because that, is going to pay off more. Yeah, I know everyone has their own different styles, uh, but it's something I've been sort of reflecting on mine going, am I moving too much? Should I, you know, I've got some really good spots. I've got some great trail camera um, images of fallow and samba and and things in spots that I hunt. Should I be getting in there real early and just spending a bit of time sitting and waiting and seeing what's walking around as opposed to me walking around, making a lot of noise, and maybe not even seeing things that I'm, you know, they're taking off well and truly before I'm, I'm even noticing them.
1: Yeah. i would be interested to see people's journey from go to woe. Yeah. Uh, Over, over a broad range of backgrounds and stuff like that. I really would love to see like how many times they visited a particular state forest before they were successful. Yeah. You know, and, and if their success was pretty much just walking upon and going, Oh, there's a deer just up in front of me and I shot it. Or, I seen sign and I stuck with it and found more sign and thought I should sit down here and then let sit down there and the deer came and I shot it. I'd love to know how they came to getting the deer down and whether it was either by luck or it was by chance that they came across sign and thought, okay, I'm going to utilize this moment and sit and wait or something like that. Yeah. I, I really would love to, yeah, ask yeah a couple of people just to see how they went with their first deer on, on the Deccan state forest it'd be very interesting to see like how they got it done
0: i'd love a bit of a survey like a poll on how it seems to be hard to work out and how to work out the questions and responses but i'd love to know the differences between stalking sit and wait ambush like what what people were sort of doing, whether they, you know, made sure they were fully enclosed, you know, whether it be fallen trees or they built a bit of a blind up, or you know, just the different ways that people have found successful for them. Because I'll, I'll put my hand up. I I'm nowhere near a good hunter. You know, I've got a That's lot. Me too. Yeah, I've That's got a lot too. to learn and a lot to get better at. That's cool. I have <clears> never professed to be to be an expert on this show. I want to learn and hear about what other people are doing that is successful for them that maybe that helps me reflect on my own practice and say, hey, I'm making maybe a mistake here, especially as, a, as someone who's relatively new to deer hunting, what am I doing wrong? Should I? Will I be more successful if I just sit and wait? Will I be more successful if I find a spot, put the trail cameras out, there's plenty of deer coming through? All right, I'm going to get in, sit there and I'll sit there for 14 hours. Is that going to work or is that going to give me better chances than me stomping around the bush? For me, I think it has to because you're not going to be scaring things off and I I do notice when I'm quiet or stationary, you tend to see a bit more even in that sort of 30 if I sit down, usually it's no longer than 30 minutes. I see more stuff whether it be natives, whether it be you know, whatever that to me might be the way to go if I want to be a bit more successful in state forests. I'm not sure. And so, yeah, I'd I'd love to get a broad variety of people's knowledge and thoughts. And, you know, there's, there's some great people out there on YouTube, but they're super successful too. I'd like to see and hear from people that are just the average hunters and what they do to get success. Cause not everyone's a brilliant hunter and I'm far from it.
1: Yeah. So, um, talking to a mate about this in New Zealand so he's been hunting the same bit of forest for 30 years so he knows where all the clearings are he knows where the track goes he knows where the deer are moving at all times he knows what they're doing he knows where the green pick is he knows what's flowering what's not flowering he knows all that but he knows that from being there for the last 30 years and walking that bit of land yeah. And so I I really do feel that once you know that bit of land and you know what's up in front, what's behind, and what you know what that entails to the, to where you're standing, once you've got all that under your belt, I think then it becomes easier for you to make decisions. Yep. Because you, you, you've been there before, so you know what's there. You know
0: what's to be expected. But well, you're it, making yeah. informed decisions as opposed to guesses. Correct, yeah.
1: So if you know you're coming up to a clearing, you're going to slow down. You're going to start looking for movement, things like that, because you know the clearing is there. The first time you've been in that state forest, you don't know if there's a clearing just beyond that, you know, this thick bit of bushy. You don't know there's a massive clearing behind there, unless yeah. you might have seen it through Google Maps. You know, that was taken 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, there might or might not be a clearing there, but you don't know unless you've actually walked over that that spot. So I think once, once you've put time and effort into the field, it's, it's, you will reap the rewards eventually. It's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Just no, that's... It. I completely agree. And it is something I need to get better at. It's something I need to spend more time in there. And I'm no... uh know i'm no fool i understand that but it's a matter of where your priorities are sometimes too and and my family come first so that's, well, that's it that's at exactly the end of the day right. yeah. the kids uh the most important things in my life and and the wife as well so they outrank me getting away hunting but um yeah it's it's an interesting one that's why hey that's why i do the podcast and talk to people you like yourself we can you know bounce things off have that chat and yeah. I might not be getting out there, but I'm learning along the way and it's things that I can put into practice when I get out there and i uh i I tend to you know I definitely tend to do that like that as you said when you find sign, why are you looking for more sign like if there's fresh sign about stay put there's deer in the area, yeah be on a bit more of an alert and you know that's that's been I've done that for a couple of times now, which is has been a helpful tip
1: yeah yeah you can you can walk in an area and not see anything as soon as you start to see some sign and then signs become thick and fresh, then you know you can slow down. You don't have to ninja through the whole state forest to find an animal, but as soon as you start seeing sign, yeah, that's when you start slowing down and starting to, to creep around and seeing what else you can find. There's no need to ninja the whole the whole time as yeah. well. That was a good tip I was told as well, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 100%. Which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, yeah interesting to see different people's um experiences with state forest hunting and how they're like they're successful like how many trips they made and how many trips they went to the same state forest before they were successful i'd love to know those figures there yeah some averages yeah yeah i'd love to
0: see some averages across the board you know did they jump from forest to forest did they spend all their time in just one getting that right was it multiple there's so many different ways you could do it, but geez, I'd love to know some stats and some averages just to say, Oh yeah, that makes sense. That would be not a bad one to target that or just to try it and see, you know, see a different aspect of it. I do have a problem though. Every time I sit and wait, I get bored and I'm like, nah, I'm just, I, I need to be out there. It's, um, it's one of the things I, I still prefer spearfishing to fishing because I like to see the animals. Yeah, And even if I'm not successful, I'm seeing them. I might not be able to shoot them in the water, but I'm seeing them. And sometimes that's better than just being up and not getting bites. And I feel sometimes that comes when I'm hunting. Funnily, when it's with the bow, I'm more than happy to sort of stand, sit, wait, <laughs> because it's I know you've got to get super close Yeah, and – I tend to do a lot better and I'm happier to wait for a lot longer. But when the rifle comes out, I uh, really struggle to sti- sit still.
1: <laughs> you know, you have more reach with the rifle, so therefore you're trying to, I suppose, you calculate a lot of area around you where you know you can reach with the rifle instead of just staying put and just waiting and, wa- and watching. It, that's, yeah. It, I've, got a, I've got a mate, Dave, um, and he went away with the Cundas Campfire. So shout out to Dave. He went the first year with a bow. Followed everything that Ian told him to do, and he sat off um, this particular rub for five days straight. And he's seen so many deer, but he couldn't shoot one because they were just out of his comfortable bow range. All the credit to him; didn't take the shot. Fantastic, great, great stuff. The next year he comes back with the two-four-three, and first day he gets there, goes back to the, that same spot. Yep, all fresh. Sits back in his, in his little, not blind, but he, he, he aligned some bushes so that way he was a bit more concealed. And sure enough, like first day he was there, bang, got his first deer, shot his first deer because they came in. And good for him to have that much patience the year before, but he knew because previously if he sat in that position that it would happen. So he did the exact same thing the year after, with something with a bit more capability in range. And bang, he's got, he's got his first deer in the state forest. Well, first year altogether, I think it was actually. But yeah, like, but he had to go through that process of sitting there on that spot for that week yeah. and seeing multiple deer go past him before he came back the next year and go, that's it, I'm going to get her off and I'll get one next year. And he did. Yeah. And he did. So lesson learnt and yeah, that, yeah 12 months later, there, there he is with, with his deer on the ground. So good on him for doing that. and But that's from him sitting down and, and watching and observing yeah. for that full week. So good on him for doing that. Yeah. Anyway. We could all learn a bit from him.
0: Mate, it's uh, what I like about hunting. You're always learning, and no matter how you, how good you think you are, you're probably hunting something that can definitely humble you. And that's for me, I love it. I just, it's such a challenge, and it's great.
1: Hunting, she's a tough mistress, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. She's a tough mistress.
0: All right, mate. Good to catch up. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, best of luck, you know, wrangle those salmon and all the other fish that you're smashing out down there. And <laughs> uh, I'm envious and hopefully I'll be getting a line wet very soon and uh, I'll uh, be able to eat some nice, fresh fish. Yeah, I'll bring some up next time I'm there, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> That's probably the only way <laughs> I'm getting some. <laughs> so. All right, too easy. Bye, Frank. Thanks for that. All right, listeners. Bye for now. If you have a topic, guest, question, or any gear that you want to hear about on the podcast, shoot us an email, and at gmail.com. Alternatively, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, make sure you give us a review and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.